I was very tempted earlier on when Adrian said to me, have you changed the theme for this morning? Um, so the theme is, is hope um, because that's what came to me very much through this, this reading from Romans 8 now I don't know about you but I've begun to notice a change a wrinkle here a freckle there a slight sagging on my jawline and it can't be avoided. I'm showing my age. I still feel about 18, and many friends would say my behaviour is even younger, but outwardly, I hate to put this into words, I'm decaying. But, as Paul says in Corinthians, I'm not losing heart. Outwardly, we're all wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. In chapter 8 of Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes of creation being subject to decay. But hang in there. This isn't gloom and doom. There is hope this morning. Because God has a plan. Baldrick might call it a cunning plan... But it's not even that. It's a perfect, eternal plan of renewal and for eternity. If we're all honest, we know we're concerned for the state of the world. There's so much suffering being reported all the time on the news. Wars, famines, natural disasters on a global scale. Our world is groaning. Even this morning I read in the news that in the Atacama Desert, which is one of the driest places on earth, it's had its 196-foot waterfall reactivated after being dry for 10 years. The world is changing. The world is groaning. Then there's human suffering Poverty, broken relationships, unemployment, and a general despair. We can easily spiral into a a sense of hopelessness. But in our passage today, Paul doesn't fluff the fact of chaos and decay, but rather points us to a future and a hope. In verse 18 of chapter 8, he says... Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. He has a focus and a hope. Can we have the definition of hope back up again? Thank you. So we looked earlier at the Oxford Dictionary definition of the word hope as, one, a feeling of expectation and a desire for a particular thing to happen. Two, a person or thing that may help or save someone, and three, grounds for believing that something good may happen. I believe something good has happened, because in God's perfect plan, can we have the picture of Christ on the cross? This is a painting by Salvador Dali, and I love it, because 
it sort of captures the whole thing of Jesus on the cross looking down onto the world. He suffered and died for us. He's the person who's come to save us. He gave his life to save this world from death. You know, everything but Jesus is subject to change. But he is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is the one we can go to when our world is crumbling. Our hope in him isn't a wishy-washy hope, but a sure hope in a person who understands us, accepts us from where we are, whatever mistakes we have made, and longs to help us and give us a future and a hope. He identifies totally with each and every one of us from wherever we come from, whatever walk of life and whatever we're going through at the moment. Never lose sight of Jesus because he's the rock under our feet and our shelter from the storm. Anyway, back to creation and our beautiful world. Paul writes of creation groaning, but the misery of creation is not like the misery of death throes, but more like a woman in labour. There will be an end result when the suffering will stop. We're on the same wavelength. One of my lovely nieces has just had her second baby. She had a pretty tough pregnancy. And um, we were texting a lot and I was really praying for this child. But all is well now and she's got her second little girl. All the time she was carrying that baby, we couldn't see it, but we knew it was there. It's the same with creation. At the moment, we can't see an end to the decay and suffering, and life seemingly goes on as normal. But God has set a time known only to him when everything will come into submission to his plan and purpose, where all is restored to how it was meant to be. Meanwhile, we have to wait with expectancy and hope. However, our expectation... (coughs) of a new creation, doesn't negate our responsibility of caring for it. God cares deeply for it. My husband Humph is a passionate gardener and cares deeply for everything he nurtures and plants. We've got pots all over the house at the moment because he's getting ready to take them out and plant them. And I know that the end result will be a beautiful garden. I'm not quite that way inclined, but because I love him and can see his love of creation, I want to help take care of everything in it, and that should be our attitude to God's creation. He did remind me yesterday of when we were first married, how we had a small vegetable patch, and he'd, I, was, I said, well, I'll come and help you. And uh, so I went out, and he gave me a hoe, and he said, well, if you can just hoe those weeds you know, around the edge of the patch... So I set to, I said, gosh, these, things, these weeds are coming out really easily. They were carrots. <laughs> he was very patient. <laughs> um, 
In Genesis 1, we're told God saw that it was good. It was good. And I wonder, did you wake up this morning groaning because of the aches and pains in your body? Did you wake up groaning at the thought of a difficult situation you're facing? Are you groaning from cares and concerns that are weighing you down? Life's hard, isn't it? In fact, there are times when it's really hard and it's very easy to feel hopeless. As Christians, we're not immune to suffering, but the Holy Spirit is here to help us. There are times when our suffering is so overwhelming, we simply don't know how to pray. And that's just when the Holy Spirit helps us. We look at creation at this time of year and it's bursting with hope and expectancy of new growth and springs coming. But underneath, there's still death and decay going on. And we can be the same. We can look vibrant and happy on the outside. But inside, we can be grieving and sad and struggling. And if that's how you feel this morning... Please, please, ask for prayer. That's what church is all about. We're here to support and help each other. Because the Holy Spirit draws alongside us in our weakness. Paul writes, we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. And he, God, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I think that's one very comforting verse. There is hope, even when things seem hopeless. So where does this leave us? Are we open to the Holy Spirit? Do we wake in the morning with hope in our hearts? Or do we groan with sadness for nations, family, friends... Do we hold out hope for the hopeless? Because that's what we're called to do as Christians. It's not about being here in this safe group. It's about getting out there and bringing hope to those who have no hope. In Proverbs 13 verse 12 we read, Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So let's keep on hoping and longing for the future that's set before us. How do we cope in the storms of life? When Peter took his eyes off the Lord, he began to sink and the waves looked too big. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. In a minute we're going to be singing the hymn by Horatio Spafford. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Peace like a peace like a, peace like a river. And when I, I looked up, because I just think it's such a lovely hymn, 
when I looked up what he'd gone through, it really struck me of how it's hope that helped him. Scarlet fever killed his four-year-old son. Two years later, in 1873, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday somewhere in Europe. And he chose England, knowing that his friend would be preaching there. He was delayed because of business, so he sent his family on ahead. His wife and their four children, daughters, 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Margaret, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta. On November the 22nd, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic, their ship was struck by an isling sailing vessel and 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Spafford's daughters. Only his wife, Anna Spafford, survived that tragedy. And upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to Spafford, beginning, Saved Alone. Spafford then sailed to England, going over the location of his daughter's deaths. And according to Bertha Spafford Vester, a daughter born after the tragedy, Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul on his journey. He had his hope fixed. He knew where he was going. And one of the verses says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. He knew where he was headed. And as I said, I think it's a wonderful hymn. But when I researched it a little, little bit more, it appears, I don't know uh, there's, if this is quite right, it appears that he lost sight on whom his hope had been fixed um, and became a little lost. But Google it yourselves and see, see what comes up. And, you know... Whatever, whatever happened to him, I want to stress that none of us are immune to being thrown off course. We need each other to keep focused and on track. For me, I want to keep my eyes fixed on the hope set before me. And that hope is fixed on Jesus Christ. Can we have the uh, Salvador Dali one again of Christ on the cross? On Jesus Christ, who loved me, who loves us and gave himself for us.